Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. And I'm not on board with that. I am a lot more worried about Maggie's Taekwondo school and my local yoga studio and the restaurant down the street that has only been open a few months that is offering pizza to kids for free all day, every day, no questions asked if they aren't getting fed while our schools are closed. I'm in a like hashtag too small to fail mindset. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We hope that you are all doing as well as you can possibly be doing. We hope that you are staying at home. We hope that you have everything that you need while you're staying at home. 
Uh, We're going to talk today more about what's going on in the world, of course. We're going to spend some special focus on conspiracy theory circulating about COVID-19 at a number of listeners' requests, and especially at Hannah's request. For the latter part of that conversation, we're going to be joined by Joe Walsh, who is a former Tea Party conservative who actually ran against Donald Trump in the primary. We're going to ask him why he thinks the Republican Party has been so prone to conspiracy theory over the last couple of years. It's a little bit therapeutic conversation for me, I'll be honest. And we'll end with what's on our minds outside of politics. Before we get into all of that, we want to begin, as we've been doing, with a meditation from one of our listeners, Marin. She says, My prayer for the world in the wake of this crisis is that we all learn to let things go and make way for a new form of life. May we learn to take pride in the process over the perfected outcome. May we surprise ourselves by how little we actually have to get done in a day. May we learn that we can live so happily with so much less. May we marvel at the beautiful reward there is in delayed gratification. May we better differentiate between wants and needs. May we walk taller as we master new skills learned out of necessity and self-reliance. May we look back at this time with our family in close quarters as something that we now cannot do without. May we set new goals as we let old ones go. May we take note of the difference that hours in sunshine makes in our bodies and spirits. And may we make that time sacred and non-negotiable going forward. May we all learn to know and love ourselves a little bit better. And while we're starting on a positive note, we want to say thank you to everyone for helping Maggie. She sent us a note to thank everyone for subscribing to her YouTube channel. She says, this whole thing has reminded me of what you have both been saying forever, which is that the personal is political. Our votes matter. Our actions matter. And those 1,000 clicks from our community were 1,000 beacons of hope in my home during this hard week. Maggie reminded us of a couple of things that we want to remind you of. First, that if you have something that you need that this community can help provide, whether it's a thousand YouTube subscribers or something else, go to our website, go to the classified section. We will have slots in our email newsletter for you to say, here's what I need from this community, and that will enable people to come back to you. Maybe it's promoting your small business. Maybe it's something um, different than that. But we are going to work very hard to bring the resources of this community to surround every person who listens to the podcast that needs it. We also wanted to offer a little bit of advice for small businesses. Someone asked us on Instagram, since I have a background in HR and law, if I could provide some advice or points to consider. Now, let me say, I am not practicing law anymore. This is not legal advice. But if you own a small business right now, take a look at all of the contracts that obligate you in any way. And look for provisions that are sometimes labeled force majeure. There's this idea under contract law and that it is written into a lot of contracts explicitly that if some act that is way outside of your control, national natural disaster, some contracts will say an act of God that keeps you from being able to perform under the contract, sometimes you have options. So you want to get those out, send them to a lawyer who has worked with you before. If one has not, see if you can find one who can help you. But you might be able to get some relief under your existing obligations. You should also contact the Small Business Administration to see what options they have for you. Some of those are going to be not great options like loans, but there may be grants, there may be other possibilities. So check those out. And here's the 
thing that I can probably help you with the most. Just don't be weird with your employees. People know that this is unprecedented. Just be honest about that. We don't know what we're doing yet. We're working on a plan. The more you can transparently say, here's what we're thinking about. These are the considerations on our minds. We care about you through this process. We'll keep you informed as best we can. The more people are going to stay with you. Send people home. Don't even think about it. Even if it feels really painful, we got to trust our communities to surround us a little bit here, but don't take the risk. And then let people know how they can support you. Tell them what you need. If you want people buying gift cards, say so. If you don't want them to do that, but you want them to do something else, say so. If you want them to continue to pay for services that they can't get right now from you, say so. But speak your needs into the universe. The other thing that I want to talk about is if you just have a boss right now who's not taking this thing seriously, who's pressuring you to work, we've heard from several people in this position, this is really hard, but this is the time to be a troublemaker at work, to go above that person's Mm -hmm. head if you have to, to put your concerns and complaints in writing, to contact legal counsel if you have to. This is the one that we cash our chips in on because... I really think we owe it to our communities and to people who can't do that to speak up. We had this phenomenal conversation with Lisa Sharon Harper that we're going to share with you in the first week of April. I just can hardly wait. But we were talking with her about how a lot of times privilege looks like just increasing your personal bank account. How can I build my bank account with people who have even more privilege than I do? And this is the time to spend that privilege. Because it is so serious, the potential for harm is so great that this is the one that we speak up on. So please do that if you have the opportunity to. If you're struggling with language, I am happy for you to email me and we will work through it together. But please, please, please speak up to your to your bosses who aren't taking this seriously right now. And I think this is to a bigger concern that we're hearing from the community, which is how do I deal with family members, friends, or just, you know, spring breakers on the news not following the recommendations? And look, this is really hard, as um, our governor, who we're going to talk about in a minute, reminds us, you know, they make everyone else's sacrifice less valuable. You know, they eat away at everyone else's sacrifice when they don't take their recommendations. And that's really hard to witness. It's really hard to talk about with our family members. But here's what I've been thinking about. When I was in college, I worked for a rape crisis line. And one of the first things they taught us was you cannot judge someone else's reaction in a crisis because you're not in the crisis. Now, that's not really true this time because we're all in the crisis. But... I say that to emphasize we're all in the crisis. Even people who are trying to blow it off or ignore it or say they're not worried, you cannot live under a rock, right? But unless you're like one of the people on the German Big Brother or the people like canoeing down the Grand Canyon who literally didn't know what's going on, everyone is soaking up the news, conversations, Economic changes, shutdowns, that's affecting everyone, even people who say it's not affecting them, okay? So when everyone is in a crisis, the upside of (laughs) humanity is it gives some people a real opportunity to shine. And, you know, I've seen that so much over the last few days. The internet, 
I'm about ready to take back the mean things I said, right? Like it's you really seeing humanity step up and people do beautiful, generous things. And you are also seeing people respond in less generous ways from the stress of this crisis, including not following the recommendations, including um, ignoring public health advice. Okay, and I know that's hard, but they are stressed, too. And while I do think there is a healthy role, what I will uh, call social control, just the when when you feel the group go, no, we're not doing that anymore. That's powerful. That's powerful. And we should have ways to exercise that. But, you know, it doesn't help us to fume and get frustrated and just live in fury at all the people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Now, I highly recommend going on the Internet and finding the Italian mayors and their fury at people walking around their streets because it's awesome. But it's like the expression about vengeance or hate. It's like drinking a poison and expecting someone else to get sick. You know, just sitting around in our houses being furious at people not following the recommendations, even if they're our own family members, is not going to help protect us from the coronavirus. So as much as possible, we have to look through the lens of everybody deals with stress differently. And we need to give the information and say, hey, I I love you. I want you to follow the recommendations. I can't be around you unless you follow the recommendations um, as best as best we can. And then realize that we only have so much control over, over other human beings. And before we wrap up the, you know, just <laughs> extended check-in portion of Pantsy Politics, one listener reached out and said that she's having trouble getting delivery times for her medically vulnerable parents. She's trying to order them groceries so that they can have their groceries delivered and all the times are filling up. And so she made a good point that if you are not medically vulnerable, you know, all of us who are healthy and are not presenting symptoms, if we can't go to the grocery stores under the sort of guidelines go so you can stay away for about two weeks then that leaves those delivery times for people who are really trying to protect um, their parents or their children because it's a little bit safer to have the food dropped off on your front porch than having to go to the grocery store yourself. So we just thought that we would put that out into the universe. Let's talk about what's going on in the world and specifically in the United States Senate. We have our first senator who was positive for COVID-19, happens to be Rand Paul from the state of Kentucky, happens to be Mm. that Rand Paul was not super responsible in his decision making while he was waiting for his test results. And now we have several other senators quarantined. And that matters because as of now, on Monday afternoon, when we are recording, senators cannot vote remotely. So changing the composition of the Senate based on who is quarantined is a significant consequential thing. I certainly hope Senator Paul recovers quickly, that this doesn't have any complications for him. I feel that way about everyone who has this. I also think it is a good example of how quickly this thing spreads, how aggressively it can spread, and how it has consequences even for people who might not test positive but who were exposed and that have a need now to drastically change their lives because of that exposure. So remember like two and a half seconds ago when I was talking about giving grace to people because everybody's in a crisis? Mm -hmm. I'm going to push pause on that for like one hot second when it comes to United States senators. Um, Because not only did we learn that Senator Paul, after voting against the phase one relief that provided money for testing, sort of openly expressing skepticism about the crisis to begin with, did he get tested and then go about his normal life exposing no telling how many people to the virus, 
But we also have all of these stories of senators selling their stocks after they received information about the crisis and closed-door meeting, including Senator Burr, um, Senator Loeffler. I think those two sold the most after their um, Intelligence Committee meetings. Senator Burr went to, like, basically a fancy pants rich people hangout and shared all this information with his friends that, hey, there's a crisis coming. Loeffler dumped, like... uh, Bank of America stock and bought in Citrix, which is an online meetup platform. And I just, it makes me want to burn it to the ground. Like the Senate is really not showing itself up to the challenge of this current crisis in lots of different ways. And it really makes you feel like, you know, we're going to move on to the conspiracy theory portion of the program later. And you hear stories like that. And sometimes I think, man, you can't blame people because you don't really have to dig for truly shitty conspiratorial behavior. It's right there on the front page of the paper when everyone is worried about their family and their health and their kids and their rent. And it just makes me furious. I did a, well, it's not really a nightly nuance. I published it on a Sunday morning, I think, or afternoon, (laughs) some moment (laughs) when I had a moment (laughs) about the Stock Act, which is what governs congressional members trading on their inside knowledge in the marketplace. And I went through what we know right now about each individual senator who's come up in connection with this story. I think an important thing to remember is that insider trading claims are really difficult to prosecute because you have to demonstrate that someone was actually using that knowledge to do the trades. Mm -hmm. And Senator Leffler is a good example. She says, I didn't make these trades. This is managed by a third party. You know, my husband and I would never touch our own portfolio. It's it's handled by other people. And that might be completely true. That might be both true and incomplete. It's just hard to demonstrate. So I don't want anybody sitting at home harboring an expectation that United States senators are going to be prosecuted and convicted over this behavior. Because whatever the facts are, it's going to be difficult to sort them out. People keep bringing up Martha Stewart. Y'all, Martha Stewart didn't go to jail for insider trading. She went to jail for lying to the FBI. Right. Just fun fact. She was talking to the FBI about insider trading, trading and in the course of that lied. And that's why she went to jail. Like these are these are really hard claims against people who are not called senator. So just remember that it's going to be difficult. I do think that when you put that beside the, I don't know another word for it, show that is unfolding on the Senate floor this Monday afternoon as we're recording over the second stimulus package related to coronavirus, we do have very good reason to be skeptical of the Senate's ability to manage this crisis. The conflict as it currently stands is between The Democrats who do not love the proposal in the GOP package, which is $500 billion of emergency loans with really very little strings attached. It goes to the Treasury Department. They can decide where it goes. There's not a lot of transparency, not a lot of requirement for how this money gets passed out to corporations. Um, Not to mention the Democrats are arguing that there's not enough money for hospitals, local and state and local governments. You know, all seem like valid points to me. And it seemed like Mitch McConnell thought oh, well, if we pass the House's version, they'll hold their nose and pass ours. And I think that was a real fundamental miscalculation on his part, um, especially since his caucus is increasingly reducing in number thanks to their bad behavior spreading the coronavirus to each other. So, you know, I, 
I you heard the frustration and anger in Mitch McConnell's voice, which doesn't happen a lot, which makes me think that he's realizing that he doesn't have a lot of power plays. Um, right now, you know, the last I read, it was basically Mnuchin and Schumer trying to figure this thing out. So we'll see what happens. And I think it's ultimately going to be Mnuchin and Pelosi trying to figure this thing out. I just don't think Again. that Schumer has the – what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think Schumer has the capital to make this happen. I think it is going to be Mnuchin and Pelosi. I think the two of them seem to work more effectively across the aisle than anybody else in Washington, D.C. right now. And ultimately, the House is going to have to be on board with whatever the Senate does. And the House is not going to pass this bill that McConnell wants passed. They're just not going to do it. Republicans are accusing Democrats, among other things, including just being stupid and kowtowing to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, of trying to put things in this bill that are not directly related to COVID-19 and of being mistrustful of the administration in a way that is more evidence of Trump derangement syndrome, as they call it. I got an idea, just a really crazy one to put out there. What if instead of doing a giant stimulus package, we carved this thing up and did relief for individuals and families in one bill, shoring up the food stamp program and WIC in another bill? In another bill talking about industry stimulus, I think it is the ramming together of all of these things that makes it nearly impossible to come to a conclusion and prevents real accountability with the American people. And that's what I'm most interested in. Well, do you know why I think they're not doing that? Because I'm not convinced, particularly the administration and Republican leadership is concerned about the American people. They're concerned about the stock market and the economy. And look, I understand that in many ways those two are related. The economic shutdown that is currently happening is wreaking havoc on American families. Real, tragic consequences. But the way he, Mitch McConnell stood up and said, well, we'll let the stock market start out and then see how they feel. And Donald Trump already trying to pivot to, well, after 15 days, people who've recovered from the coronavirus can go back to work because he's so scared about the economy is gross. It's just gross to say it's not related to COVID-19. Everything's related to COVID-19, you guys. And so the idea that we would, you know, our number one priority is to prevent an economic, you know, stock, another stock market fall, which, again, I know they're not unrelated. Retirements, all kinds of things are wrapped up with the stock market. But there just seems to be like, well, the stock market is looking at us and they're all, everyone's depending on us to do something. So we better get all this money into industry's hands. It's just like, I can't tell who's in charge. You know, like I can't tell who you're working for. I can't tell who is actually, you know, steering the ship that is the United States. Is it industry or is it you guys? Is it the White House or is it the Senate? Like, is it the American people that you work for or is it Donald Trump? I, I'm just, I feel like I have whiplash because I can't tell you know, everyone's priorities. This doesn't feel like 9-11, as bad as the outcome of some of that unanimous decision-making was, where it was like, okay, well, we know who we're working for, what we're doing, and what we're trying to get done. And, like, it just doesn't feel like that. I know it's not the same crisis. It's a really, really different enemy, and I get that. But it's just frustrating to feel like it's all about, let's get this giant package so we can get the stock market paying attention again, as opposed to... What do the American people need? They need money and they don't need 
$1,000, guys. They need more than that. And it's just, I'm just frustrated. And lots of the American people need money, not just mm-hmm. like at all income levels. You have a need mm-hmm. for some relief, right? I'm not talking the millionaires and billionaires. <laughs> I feel like Bernie Sanders just inhabited my brain for a second. But people, even with incomes above $75,000, are probably going to need some help by the end of this. Yep. Because people who made $75,000 last year aren't going to make $75,000 this year. It's just not how it's going to go. And it's going to be really hard. You know, I did some Chapter 11 bankruptcy work while I was an attorney. It was my favorite of the work that I did as a lawyer because unlike litigation where it, it just all felt like gamesmanship, we just have to win, we don't care how, to me, Chapter 11 was everybody coming to the table understanding that there is not a scenario where everybody walks away feeling like they won something. In fact, Mm -hmm. in the best scenario, everyone walks away from this feeling like they lost something. And I liked that work because I felt like it got us down to really focusing in on priorities. And that's what we need to do right now. There is not a scenario where we insulate our stock market from this. There isn't one. Chris Hayes had a great thread of of MSNBC today, had a great thread about how let's say you buy into the president's line that the cure can't be worse than the problem. And you say, I don't care morally if lots and lots of people get this virus and, and many of them die because I still think you know, a huge economic depression is worse. And I'm not there, but I also don't completely misunderstand that argument because a lot of people can die in an economic depression too. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's what the president is worried about, but fair enough that a recession, a depression is very bad and it is history altering, right? And and we don't want that. We're going to have it no matter what we do because as Chris Hayes explained, There is not a going back to normal. If in 15 days we send everybody back to work and everybody starts getting sick and then people are calling off of work, but businesses are trying to continue operating, we're still going to see this kind of slowdown. We're just going to see it uglier and we're going to see it impact the healthcare industry in a different way than it's impacting the healthcare industry now. The ripple effects are going to come from different pressure points, but the pressure points are still going to be there even if we allow everybody to get sick for the sake of still having our bars and restaurants and movie theaters and subways running. We cannot insulate the stock market from this. And so, yes, our choices suck. All of them suck right now. They're terrible. And also... We can make them. We can focus in on what our priorities are. And that's what I think is missing with the Senate package right now. It is not about prioritization as much as it is. it it seems to me to be about do something. Do something for the day traders. And I'm not on board with that. I am a lot more worried about Maggie's Taekwondo school and my local yoga studio and the restaurant down the street that has only been open a few months that is offering pizza to kids for free all day, every day, no questions asked if they aren't getting fed while our schools are closed. I'm in a like hashtag too small to fail mindset. 
And that's why I so much would rather see this money getting to individuals and families so that our small businesses can weather this. And we will figure it out with cruise lines and airlines later. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, this seems to me related to his, oh, well, maybe after 15 days, we'll try again. Oh, we're going to have this slush fund of $500 billion to hand out to corporations and to the fact that he won't invoke the Stinking Defense Production Act. And we don't have enough supplies. We have listeners spending hours of their day sewing medical masks, but he won't call on corporations to do it because they're worried it'll affect their bottom line. Are you kidding me? Who do you work for? And so... If you're hearing that and thinking, but a bunch of corporations are making masks that never did before, that is true. I think that Mm -hmm. this is a both and situation, though. You know, I'm a federalism girl through to my toes. At the same time, we need meaningful coordination of those supplies that are getting made so that if Tesla, as it's said it will, starts making ventilators, how, how is Tesla to deal with 50 states to understand where to ship those? Mm-hmm. That's where you really need the federal government in here. I thought Start Here from ABC, the podcast that covers the morning headlines, had a really good analogy. They just said governors are asking for him to use the Defense Production Act, not because they want him to completely take over the private sector, but because they need the unique capacity for coordination of resources that the federal government has. They need to be able to say to one source, here is what we need, and have that source say, great, here's what we've got. We're going to deploy it in that direction. Yeah, because it's just such a big, complicated mess right now, you know, between who is hit the hardest, but also who has better resources um, as far as those sort of manufacturing capabilities or donations. And how are you supposed to sort that out? I mean, there's a reason we send FEMA out to small areas of the country when they have a natural disaster, because when you're just, you know, navigating and organizing Houston, It's a job for the federal government, much less when you're organizing and navigating a crisis that is across the entire nation. Well, we will stop for just a second. Speaking of coordination on the state level, which in some places is going very well. Now, we're going to try really hard not to turn compliment the other side into Beth and Sarah fangirl about Andy Bashir, our current governor of Kentucky. But we're going to take this week because it's our podcast. But then we want you all to start emailing us in about your local leaders and governors and telling us because, listen, compliment the other side has never been such an embarrassment of riches. There are leaders, local leaders, state leaders across this country stepping up. But for now, <laughs> just this week. We're going to talk about Angie Bashir. I've started watching the press conferences every day. They make me feel so much better. Are you watching them every day? Every day, five o'clock, Governor Bashir comes out. He does the same thing every day. He goes yeah, through things day. in the same order. Yep. He spends some time just showing us pictures of people being good neighbors and doing the right thing. Listen, he might as well come in. There's a lot of Mr. Rogers comparisons being made right now, but it's so fair because in just the way that Mr. Rogers came in, the same way every time put the cardigan on, changed to the slippers, Governor Bashir comes in and he follows his order of this is how we're going to give you the announcements. He, He basically says, oh, what was the television on Mr. Rogers called? 
I don't remember. Picture, picture. He basically says, now let's go to picture, picture and see people being good neighbors here. And he shows kids I want to get on that letters. section. <laughs> he said, if it kills me, my kids and I are going to work on our porch sign. I want, I want to be in that section of the press conference real bad. He shows kids drawing pictures for nursing homes. He shows people making donations to food pantries. And it's just all hashtag Team Kentucky. Because as Governor Bashir tells us all the time, we can meet this we're, challenge together, Kentuckians. We're in it together. We're good. We just need to be good neighbors. My other favorite portion of the program is when he shames people, because as we all know, that is one of my favorite emotions and sort of like self-righteous fury and shaming of other people, which you probably heard when we were talking about the United States Senate and Rand Paul. Maybe he'll, if he shouted out Rand Paul, oh my God, he won't do it. He won't do it, but it would make my life. Anyway. Well, did you hear him? Like, Hang on just a second. Did you hear them ask him about Rand Paul testing positive? No, what he said. Yeah. So he was asked in the press conference, what do you think about Rand Paul being testing positive for COVID-19? And he said, basically, I hope that he does really well. I'm really sorry that this is not a time to be partisan. But then he got in, even though he voted against that stimulus package. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what's so great about it as you continue into the shaming portion. He is not afraid at all to publicly hold people accountable, yeah. but he does it in the context of this lovely, gentle, encouraging tone. And so it just really feels like moral leadership. Like he'll so he'll do. <laughs> the one that got a lot of play was he called out this bingo parlor. Was it in Pike County? It was in Pike County, yes. That was not, I just want to say I'm not surprised. No offense, Pike County. It's just like if you're a bingo parlor in Pike County, you are endangering the most vulnerable about among us. And yesterday it was a church in like Ledbetter that got called out. or so, I don't remember the county that was like, this church is not closing. That is unacceptable. <laughs> it's just there's so many good memes. Um, Salon wrote an article we'll put in the show notes. I mean, he's become a little bit of an Internet star. He's getting props from across the country for what a good job he's done. If you... See, there is a chart that compares his actions to the actions of the governor of Tennessee and our infection rates and that Tennessee's infection rates. It's like, I mean, he keeps pulling up the St. Louis, Philadelphia chart. I'm like, you don't have to do that anymore, friend. Just pull up the Tennessee, Kentucky chart. It's relevant right now. It's amazing. I and love him so much. So much. There's nothing shallow about it. it. You know, I get so much joy from Andy Bashir memes for socially distancing teens, the large Facebook group that exists just to post amazing memes about his leadership. Trust me, though, when I tell you that what he is doing is hard. He is delivering hard messages. He talks about mental health every single day. He talks about parenting through this crisis every single day. He talks about the most vulnerable people in Kentucky every day. It's just unfathomable that we went from Matt Bevan to this person Hello. and that we are so I just feel so lucky every time he yes. comes to the microphone to have someone in this office making incredibly hard decisions. I mean, we are basically under shelter in place here in Kentucky, but he said he's not going to call it that because we're not doing it out of fear. We're doing it out of love. And so he I'm calls it healthy so at home. I mean, it's so it's so good. And just to have this kind of calm, steady, firm hand in control. I am super grateful. I mean, I told you when we were texting about it this weekend and sharing Andy Bashir memes that 
I just like it makes me want to cry. I forgot what it feels like to have that kind of leadership. I just forgot. I forgot what it's like to look at the person who's in charge and go, oh, they've got it. Mm -hmm. They've got this. They've got all of us. And it is so comforting. And I know many of you are feeling that from your leaders across the country. So please, please, you know, let us know what your mayors and your governors and everything are doing. I mean, they won't be as good or as cute as Andy Bashir. I'm just going to put it out there right now. But we will share them just the same. <laughs> Next up, we are going to talk about coronavirus conspiracy theories, coronavirus denial, and how all that connects to the president and how we can connect with our friends and neighbors who are caught up in it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought this is just how time feels now and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince 
chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. We got an email from Hannah who said, hey, this coronavirus situation has introduced me to QAnon because Mm. some very smart people who I love a lot seem to be buying into some conspiracy theories. Can you please discuss it? So we're going to do that, Hannah. We got you. QAnon was already on my radar. We had been talking about doing an episode on this because when we were in New Hampshire, we talked to a listener who went to one of the Trump rallies. And it's, you know, far from being only on 4chan or 8chan or whatever dark recesses of the Internet, it's really blossomed into a more mainstream conspiracy theory. You have YouTubers, books, Facebook groups, and in live marches on Washington, in live people at Trump rallies wearing Q t-shirts. So let's talk about how where this started and how it got there and why it is finding fertile soil in our current crisis. So QAnon began in early October 2017. On October 5th, during a photo opportunity held with before a military dinner, Donald Trump said in front of the press, maybe the calm before the storm. What do you think? And the reporter asked, uh... What storm? And he responded, you'll find out. Now, what is this? This is just Donald Trump jabbering, which is what he does a lot. Then you get the first post on October 28th from an anonymous user on 4chan claiming high-level high level government clearance. So this Q, this is Q-level security clearance at the Department of Energy. So this person gets on 4chan, claims to have this high-level clearance. And this is the very first post from quote unquote Q. And I'm just going to read it because to fully understand the coded weird language, these posts comes, you have to hear them. HRC extradition already in motion effective yesterday with several countries in case of cross-border run. Passport approved to be flagged effective 1030 at 1201 a.m. Expect massive riots organized in defiance and others fleeing the U.S. to occur. USMs will conduct the operation while NG activated. Proof check. Locate an NG member and ask if activated for duty 1030 across most major cities. Now, Beth, may I ask you something? Do you remember riots in the streets or activated National Guard from October 2017? I don't. And I do think I would remember it. I feel like I would also remember this. But I I just, mm, I mean, I know that's not the point. But the fact that, like, nothing in hit this person's first post ever came to fruition is not the end of this conspiracy theory is really problematic. But... It was not the end. It was merely the beginning. So as I understand it, the animating principle behind the QAnon grouping is that liberals and celebrities are part of a satanic cabal running an international 
sex trafficking ring. I think sometimes they, I, I'm not trying to be flippant. I think there is an aspect of like cannibalism. Sometimes uh, liberals and the deep state don't just abuse children. They also eat them. I just want to add that layer on top of it. And Donald Trump is aware of this and is fighting it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so Mm -hmm. and everything else has to be understood through that prism that this is existential good versus evil battle with Donald Trump wielding the sword for the good side against Mm -hmm. this international sex trafficking ring. And look, it is not hard to see why that has gained some traction in light of the Jeffrey Epstein situation. There has been throughout this process enough that he, that the people who write these posts can grab onto that makes people go, oh, well, I mean, I, I see some of this, that it has really kind of come up off of the Internet, as Sarah said, and out into the light a little bit more. So how does this relate to COVID-19? Well, according to the QAnon folk, when celebrities say they have been diagnosed or tested positive for COVID-19 and go into quarantine, they are really covering up their arrests. There are going to be lots more arrests. This whole thing is about to blow open, but it's being covered up with the virus. Mm -hmm. That is the idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more research we did on this, the more I think, you know, first it fits the profile of what people use conspiracy theories for, which is to make sense of chaos. When something truly terrible happens or they feel, uh, you know, that there's a lot of chaos in the world, conspiracy theory provides like a decoder ring, especially with QAnon. It's like there's this very um, sense that like, well, we see what's really happening. Nobody else does. It gives people a sense of power. It gives people a sense of control. It gives people a sense that this story has an end and I know what it is, as opposed to you know, the chaos of modern life, especially in a situation like now. And I think you layer on top of just, you know, general living in an industrial society with the Internet and Facebook and lots of input and lots of terrible news stories like Sandy Hook and all these other because that's the other thing QAnon does. It's like it can it can pull strands from other conspiracy theories, from other events, and everything becomes a part of the whole. Because I think what what made this so sort of um, ready to explode, especially with Donald Trump, is that he came out and he said, I'm the only one who can fix this. I'm going to step up. I'm going to bring order to this chaos. And for people who were already believing in conspiracy theories, for people who had been felt sort of stepped on by our modern culture and society, he was going to be their savior. Well, then he became president. And that is not how it turned out. He looks completely confused, incapable, angry, frustrated, and in no way, shape, or form what it looks like to be a president in control of a situation, ever. Um, And so when that happened, they needed, you know, confirmation bias is powerful. And so these, the people who had believed him when he said, I'm the only one that can fix it, and then he sort of gets up there and it's, it's immediately apparent he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, well, we need a reason to believe that he's still the savior he claimed he would be. Because at this point, it's like anything else. Like some people have made sacrifices for the MAGA lifestyle, right? Like they're alienating themselves from family and friends. They are maybe even, you know, losing jobs, losing clients. Like they love this this philosophy. They love him. And 
sacrifices have to be made. And so he gets in there and he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, well, how convenient that now somebody else can come along and say, oh, it's just a cover. Don't worry. He really is the savior he's always promised to be. And not only is he saving us from just the normal stuff or or really what don't you think it's this like he's not saving us from the normal stuff like opioid addiction or economic problems. But that's okay because he's fighting a bigger, deeper battle. He's fighting evil people who want to harm kids. And so it doesn't matter that he's not actually improving your economic standing or your kid's chance at a better life or your health care concerns because you're all making sacrifices at the altar of him because he's really going to he's engaged in this epic cosmic battle against the deep state and these child abusers. One of the most illuminating things that I read as we were doing this research was from uh, Professor Stephen Lewandowski at the University of Bristol and John Cook at George Mason University. And this really helped me because they said a lot of conspiracy theories are internally inconsistent. So as Mm -hmm. you were talking about that tension between kind of how Trump presents and what is believed about him, because consistency isn't the point. The commitment is not to everything that Q predicted in that initial post coming true. The commitment is to disbelieving the official account. And when you think about it that way and you think about how for the past several years, so much of our national political scene has been fueled by a belief that the establishment is oppressing everyone constantly, deliberately, insidiously. Mm -hmm. You can understand why people grab onto something that invokes a commitment to disbelieving whatever the official account is. And you can understand when it comes to something like this virus, how incredibly dangerous that is. QAnon is not the only set of conspiracy theories out there about COVID-19. So this is really important to understand that a lot of people make a lot of money selling conspiracy theory. For example, Alex Jones from InfoWars is saying that basically this is how the world ends. And fortunately, for only $99.99, he can sell you all the products you need to survive (laughs) it. And he he is actually selling nutritional supplements that he says will protect people and end-of-the-world paraphernalia. There is also more like mainstream version of of virus denial. And again, it's really internally inconsistent because it goes like this. This is all bullshit. It's fear porn. Blame the media for hyping this up. And also it's bioterrorism cooked up in a Chinese lab. And also it's a big pharma plot to make mandatory vaccination the new norm in our country so that drug countries get enriched. And it's the deep state, but it's just the flu. You know, it's just people want to have it both ways constantly in this world. And it's infuriating if you don't see it that way. But the point that these professors helped me understand is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how inconsistent it is, because the yep. what matters is that we don't believe whoever we think is the establishment. We don't believe what they're saying. So we did want to bring in Joe Walsh to talk about the changes in the Republican Party that sort of made this type of reaction uh, likely, that made this type of reaction grow. 
Joe Walsh was a Republican candidate for president in this cycle. He mounted a primary challenge against Donald Trump. He is a former congressman from Illinois. He was part of the Tea Party wave going into Congress. He has since really started to see the party differently. He voted for Donald Trump, says on Twitter all the time that he's sorry that he voted for Donald Trump. And we thought he was uniquely positioned to speak to this issue because he has been in kind of the belly of this beast and come out the other side and is trying to talk with people about it. And I I really value what he's doing, as you'll hear in this conversation. Before we launch into it, let me say this discussion is not about all Republicans. It is not about all people who voted for Donald Trump the first time. It is not about all people who are contemplating voting for Donald Trump again. We are focused on the folks who buy into whatever is the anti-establishment message about COVID-19 and related conspiracy theory. Hi, Joe. It's Beth and Sarah. How are you both? Well, we're doing okay. How are you doing? I know. It feels so when people ask me that, I want to say like... I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know how to respond anymore. It's another thing that coronavirus has upended. It is a weird once in a lifetime thing. It really is. Everybody doing okay in your house? Everybody's okay. Me, my wife, and our four dogs. Yes, ma'am. Nice. Okay. We did have How a listener guys, so send I mean, us a thing since our subject is conspiracy theories. She was like, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, except for I do wonder if the pets are behind this. And she held all these pictures of how happy her pets yeah. are, like snuggle, <laughs> just living their best lives. <laughs> <laughs> They're loving it. No doubt about it. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us. I just want to ask you, why do you think the Republican Party has become such fertile ground for conspiracy theory to take hold? I think because I, I think a couple of reasons. I, I think because for so long, uh, like like Donald Trump's voters, the people who voted for Trump have felt uh, like beaten down and persecuted and nobody's paying attention to them. And uh, all of these changes are happening so fast with marriage and gender and all of this stuff and their heads are spinning and, and they're, they're desperate to glom onto something or somebody who can kind of make sense of it all. And I think that's a big part of why they're all cultish around Trump and it is a cult, and he is their cult leader. And I think that's why they're so susceptible to these weird, bad conspiracy theories, because they don't understand the world around them, and they're trying to glom onto something that might explain or justify it, if that makes sense. I'm wondering, as you traveled around campaigning during the primary, and you know, as you served in public office yourself, it seems like there's a big portion of the conservative media that really leans into, um, you can't trust your government. The government is the problem. Um, and look, you know, the problem with some of these conspiracy theories is you can look back in modern American history and see things that support a distrust, um, particularly yeah. the federal government. Yeah. And so there's just, a, you know, there's enough there 
um, to build on, uh, you know, to, to, to lay a strong foundation for a conspiracy theory mindset. But I, I wonder how much you, th- you, as you look back and you, as you traveled and you listened to other people, that particular narrative plays a role. I think that's a big part of it. Look, I'm, I mean, generally in today's political parlance, I'm a conservative and conservatives in general are much more skeptical of government than today's liberals are. And that's fine. But I think you're right in that conservative media uh, over the last 30 to 40 years has taken that healthy skepticism and amped it up. And I mean, I've been very clear because I come from that world. It's what I hated about the conservative media world is because people like Hannity and Limbaugh and all the rest of them, they purposely lie to their listeners. They purposely manipulate their listeners. They feed this. Uh, Limbaugh purposely tries to get his listeners to hate brown people and to hate people who don't look like them. And, and when it came to like Barack Obama, President Obama, much of the conservative media world tried to really push uh, racist, bigoted, scary stuff about Obama. And let's be real. Most of the conservative mega world people out there are old white guys and mm-hmm. and they buy a lot of this stuff. It's sad. It's really sad what the conservative media world has done. Yeah, it's been hard to think about. And I I really am curious how you think about this. You know, I'm a person who registered Republican at 18. I voted Republican my entire life because I thought the party was talking about one thing in terms of skepticism of the federal government. And it turned out it was talking about, I think, a very different thing. And for me, that distinction first became obvious right here at home in Kentucky when we went from Tea Party as in let's make sure that the federal government is stewarding our dollars well to rapidly, we can't even have taxes to support our local library. And I thought, like, what is this? What is happening? And then seeing that take on, as you noted, racial dimensions, fear of immigrants, treating LGBTQ people not only like they shouldn't be um, perhaps married in your local church, but also like they shouldn't exist. I mean, I I am struggling right. with this feeling of like, was I ever correct about what what I thought it was that animated this party? Yes, and if I were there with you right now, I'd give you a big hug. You were you were correct. Don't <laughs> no, don't you wouldn't because we're social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> we would yes, do an elbow bump, right? Give, oh my god, I couldn't give you a hug right now. You're right. Um, no, look, I I I I come from the Tea Party world. I come from this world. I went to Washington 10 years ago because like you, I was pissed off about all of the debt, the size of government. What became clear to me is there were really two strands in the Tea Party. There was the one strand, which is government's too big. All this debt is bad. And that's a natural outgrowth, I think, of a lot of the Republican things that you and I believe in. But there was also an ugly strand of the Tea Party, which was a populist strand. That's the strand that Donald Trump then came along and demagogued. And that, again, is, uh, you know, a bunch of old white people 
who it's not just about the debt. They're afraid of brown people. It's not just about the debt. They're afraid of somebody uh, of a boy identifying as a girl. It's not just the debt. It's, you know, uh, a boy being able to marry a boy. So these cultural things uh, tended to become more important. And again, people like Hannity and Mark Levin and Limbaugh fed all of the populist crap, the, the, um, the fear of the other. And then along came Trump and Trump's just a demagogue. I mean, Donald Trump, if you think about it, got elected because he said one thing, I'm going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. And when he said that, I mean, all of these conservatives, all of these mega people around the country jumped up and said, yeah, because I don't want those brown people in here. That's what Trump did. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze Sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, 
before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. So as you saw these changes um, yeah. and saw one particular strain taking over, I mean, I think what you see with conspiracy theorists is he kept speaking, he kept making promises, and then he kept screwing yeah. up, right? And so the QAnon in particular seems to me like um, we're going to put this framework around what everyone else sees is just he's completely incapable of being president. And we'll right. give you the sort of secret decoder ring so that you can keep believing that he alone can fix it. And I'm wondering how much of that you encountered out on the campaign trail, this idea that like we're we're look we're looking in theory, we're living in the same world. But see, I have these secret glasses that show me that Trump is not actually inept, but is actually, you know, just operating on a different level, playing fourth dimensional chess while the rest of us are all playing checkers. You know, yeah. So like when I challenged Trump in the primary, uh, I, I found out pretty quickly after about a month or so being out on the trail, talking to regular Republicans and many mega Trump supporters. Uh, it, it was the saddest six months of my life because wow. I realized that the vast majority of these Republican voters are living on a different planet than me. I, wow. I, you may have seen when I was in Iowa and I and Trump had one of his big stupid rallies in Des Moines a week before the caucus. I went and worked the line and I and I campaigned among the people in line trying to go into his rally. And, and it was so depressing because they they believe all this stuff about Donald Trump. They believe he never lies. They believe he never plays golf. They believe he works 30 hours a day. They believe he's playing 4D chess. And they believe, going back to conspiracy theories, uh, Q and all the rest, they believe there are evil forces mm -hmm. out to take him down. Because, and yep. what's so important to remember, and they told me this every day on the trail, Trump is like a god to them. Wow. And so there has to be something really evil like the deep state. I mean, a secret, sinister, deep state plot trying to take my God down. I, I heard it every day and it, it just it just bummed me out. But again, that goes to the notion of a cult. He is so supreme. And so if he doesn't do something, that means somebody else is trying to take him down. That is what I am really trying to think through, because we have a lot of people listening right now who love folks who maybe would acknowledge some of Trump's flaws, but would ultimately say, yeah, I think the bigger problem is all of the people who are trying to take Trump down. Mm -hmm. And as I learn more about the psychology of, of what is behind conspiracy theory and, and what can lead people into this mentality about, about Donald Trump, I don't know how you effectively... Um, get into a conversation that has the potential to influence 
people in that state of mind because it seems to me that once you have said to everybody, well, everything bad you hear is just the deep state liberals, um, it's like you can't lose because we're not we're not even talking about the same things anymore. So I'm I'm wondering if you had any conversations that felt like they made some space, um, opened some minds, had had a really positive impact and what you can share with us uh, if you did. Yeah, I think what made me different is I was I was not a never Trumper from the beginning. And I am I look <laughs> before Trump came along, you know, it we, we may not be having this conversation, the three of us, because you two may not have even have liked me. I was one of the most outspoken Tea Party conservatives. So the same people who voted for Trump, the same people who believe in all this conspiracy theory stuff, they're the people who voted for me. And they're the people who have listened to me on the radio the last seven or eight years. So because I come from their world, they would open up more with me. I was not a liberal. I'm not on CNN. I'm not a never Trumper. And so I, I'd engage in plenty of really serious conversations and not all of them are lost. I, I really need to say that. I, I think I think 70 to 80 percent of Trump's base is lost and, and they buy the whole conspiracy theory stuff. But I had plenty of conversations with others where even they would acknowledge some of Trump's flaws um, and and they would roll their eyes. Not everybody on that side believes in Q and believes in all these conspiracy theories. Um, their fallback always was, though, Joe, you're right about Trump. He's a bad guy and he lies all the time. But the Democrats are evil. They're bad. And so even though my guy's bad, He's my guy. Um, so that's that's ultimately the place I would get to with the more reasonable ones. They would acknowledge Trump is flawed and some would acknowledge he's bad. And some of them would tell me I'm sick and tired of them, but the Democrats are evil. We can't let them in. So I think that is, you know. I totally understand why that was hard and why that was depressing. And it feels like if we were still just talking about the 2020 election, you know, we could make our peace with even 70 to 80 percent of his base being unpersuadable. But in the face of COVID-19, when we need people to listen to public health officials and we need people to see the impact of his actions um, on their health and their neighbor's health, like, have you thought in the last, you know, week or few days about how this could shift, how, you know, when it's essential that people listen and not be bought into conspiracy theories? I mean, we have listeners emailing us about their family members and they're distraught because they're not listening to the public health recommendations. Um, do you have any recommendations about how to break through in a situation like this? Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's kind of weird because it? now it's like life and death. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a really depressing answer. I, I think for a lot of them, for most of that 70, 80%, we're not going to ba- break through. Yeah, and I believe when, when they do a study, when the study is done in three or four years after this, and we, and somebody does the study to show who died, I think there's going to be a disproportionate, I don't know how to say this diplomatically, but there's going to be a disproportionate number of 
Republicans, conservatives, older Trump supporters who died because they didn't believe it, because Donald Trump told them it was no big deal. And all of Donald Trump's megaphones like Hannity and Laura Ingram told them it was no big deal. So I, 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 some of them, I mean, some of them you'll reach, but no, look, the vast majority of these people, guys, they're going to go down with him and Hannity. They will jump off a cliff with him and Sean Hannity. They really will. It's just so powerful. It's a powerful, powerful drug. That's what these theories offer. I mean, if it's if this theory is appealing in the regular chaos of our country, then how much yeah. more appealing is it right now? You know, I just think that that's the that's the problem. Like it is it is so appealing to have someone offer an answer to the chaos of modern life, particularly the chaos of a global pandemic. And to, you know, it's almost like the only thing you can tell people is to try to follow some of the recommendations of extracting your family member from a cult. Oh, totally. No, no, no. Look, I, I, I still communicate with these people every day. And when I post, you know, the truth on social media, this is these are some of the responses I'll get is is the deep state is behind this virus. And and uh, leave me alone, Joe, you're putting out bullshit. And it, it literally it is life and death in that family members are going to be called over the course of this next year to save family members. Well, Joe, I really appreciate what you do. I think it is so rare to have such a public example of someone saying, hey, these were my people. We have chosen different roads right now. I have yeah. changed my mind about some of the past and some of it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, and I do think you're uniquely positioned as a messenger to try to make a difference for the people who um, can can really hear it. So thank you for all of that. Where can people stay in touch with you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom. And I I got a book out. I wrote a book. I'll give you the polite title. It's called F Silence, Calling Trump Out for the Authoritarian Con Man He Is. And I get into a lot of this stuff in the book. But um, you guys are wonderful. Thank you. Keep keep speaking and spreading your truth. Thank you so much. You too. Before we move on to our next segment, I wanted to to share some of the tips about how to keep in contact with someone who believes these things, especially as these conspiracy theory grows with COVID-19. And I do think that just following the advice of experts on getting someone out of a cult is not ill-advised because that's the, the vice grip it has on someone's worldview when they fall really deep for this level of conspiracy theory. Um, we're going to put a link in the show notes from the New York Times, but they quote a sociology professor and consultant who says, you just have to do everything you can to stay in touch with this person. You have to keep connecting them, reminding them of their connection to you, of the real world, sending photographs, and really not trying to 
force them or shame them out, but getting as much one-on-one time as you can, connecting to that person, connecting them to the reality, pointing out the inconsistencies, but don't feel like you need to um, go point by point on these because they're inconsistent. So the inconsistency is not going to be the key that unlocks this person from this worldview. And I know that's really hard, and I know that that um, can feel like a mental health challenge in and of itself. But the truth is, it is. I mean, if you have a family member really locked into this this conspiracy theory or another conspiracy theory, I think it is it is helpful um, to think about it as a mental health challenge. I really loved this from Politico's Keith Clore also, because I think it kind of sums up this conversation. If you're obsessively following the outbreak news, watching the panic among real-world doctors, the anxiety of people watching their jobs and 401ks vanish, senior citizens and even 30-somethings struggling for life on ventilators, it can be infuriating to read tweet after tweet intimating that this isn't a big deal at all. But if you haven't been hit by the disease yet and don't want to stay inside for the sake of people you've never met, there's a measure of relief in occupying a world in which the situation is under control and the response has gone Mm -hmm. too far. And it always helps me when I am struggling to find a measure of grace (laughs) to keep things like that in mind, that people get into this situation for a lot of different reasons, but most of them have to do with fear. And so I think Sarah's tips are really good. Even if you're kind of cringing at the idea of cult here, Just think of it as people grab onto things that soothe their fears. And so if we can meet them with empathy, it helps. Beth, what's on your uh, mind outside politics and a global pandemic and your new role as a homeschooling mom? (laughs) There's so much room. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm just like thinking about all things, picking up some new hobbies. Just basking in all the space. Actually, can I say something about this new role as homeschool mom situation? Mm Mm-hmm. I won't lie and say that I'm not jealous sometimes when people talk about all the the programs they're streaming because I I don't have time for that and some other things. But I've really decided that could I wave a magic wand and pick? I think I prefer having my kids, like being in a home with kids, because it just adds a layer of sort of distraction slash structure slash perspective slash entertainment that I'm feeling really grateful for right now. I feel like everybody is is sort of feeling sorry for parents at home as new homeschoolers. And there is lots to feel sorry for us about. <laughs> but I thought, man, I'm, I, you know, I was thinking about what this would have been like had it happened 15 years ago when I was in Washington, D.C. in a 700-square-foot apartment with my husband. And I don't know. This ain't so bad in this in the scheme of things. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I am in the ways that I can be without at all trying to be like silver lining Sally. Mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. enjoying and appreciating this time with my kids. My uh, four-year-old is doing lots of Sudoku with me. She's amazing at it. Who knew <laughs> how well her little mind works already? <laughs> you know, there are all kinds of things where I feel like I'm getting to see my kids in a new way. And I am personally being uh, reduced, which I don't mean in a negative way. I mean it in a cooking way. You know how you can reduce like balsamic uh, yeah, vinegar yeah, 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 or yeah. reduce a sauce? I feel like that's happening to me. 
And I feel like that reduction where you just boil it all down to its purest forms um, relates to something you posted on Instagram over the weekend, Sarah, about just feeling emotions more intensely. I think that the parts of me that are, you know, in need of work are on full display right now. And Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. some of the best parts of me that I haven't seen a lot in a long while are on display right now. And so I'm trying to just hold on to all of that. There isn't much on my mind because my mind is so fully occupied with the present moment. And that in and of itself is is like quite a thing. And it's teaching mm-hmm. me a lot. It's so true. You know, one of our our favorite of faves, Liz Kay, sent us like just the most beautiful reflection. And she said that this kind of life change that happens is like what happens when you have a newborn. It's just sustaining life is your whole job. <laughs> Abandon productivity, she said, and circle 100 days from birth on the calendar. That's when you'll start to feel like yourself again. It was so good. And that is how I feel. And again, I don't, I'm struggling to talk about the sides of this that have me feeling anything other than despondent because mm-hmm. I don't want to at all get give short shrift to all of the ways in which this is impacting every aspect of people's lives. And for so many people, more people than not, it is so much worse than it is for me right now. And so I don't want to. I'm, I really am struggling. I also am seeing ways in which there are aspects of living like we're living right now that are that are better for me than some of the ways that we lived before this. And so I've just got to figure all of that out. And I think it's going to take a long time. Richard Rohr has been sending daily emails and just reflecting on, you know, the crisis and that suffering is the path to love it is tied up in that and i i think you know i read a story in the new york times i've read a lot of stories in the new york times over the the last few days or maybe it was a tweet i don't even remember that a lot of new york city hospitals are saying the that anybody giving birth can't have somebody with them so you're talking about partners and fathers and grandparents or whoever missing the birth of their child and I thought, I just can't stop thinking about it. And then, you know, I, the struggles of single parents and children with real disabilities and just struggles that are hard to comprehend, um, people worrying about how to pay their bills. And, you know, I, I see that and I I think, you know, we can do everything we can to help, but the response to that type of suffering is not to ignore the gifts that you have around you, right? Like it doesn't in- decrease their suffering for me to stay mired in despondency and not to um, appreciate or and soak up every teeny, tiny little gift of a moment that I have with my own family and my own loved ones. You know, I think that that, we're, you know, if the fear is connecting us, then the love is connecting us too, and not to get, you know, a little woo-woo about it. But, you know, I think the natural human response to seeing, you know, other people suffer is to hug the good things in your life a little tighter. And I just think we're all doing that right now. And I think we just have to 
feeling the love for people in our lives does not increase the suffering of those around us. You know, I think that most of us feel quite the opposite, that the more that we can stay tuned in to the to the despair we feel for others, that the love we feel for each other, like it's just it is the most vulnerable and the most raw and the most just stripped bare I've really ever felt. And I think that a lot of us are going through that. And there's just no right way to do that. There's no correct way to do that. We just are all going to have to do our best every day and feel it out. Well, let's end with something beautiful on that note from Laura, who is a doctor in Canada. She said, I've heard people saying that social distancing is an act of fear, but I believe it is an act of tremendous hope. I listened to today's podcast as I walked home from work, and Sarah, when you said it seems like a good time to build infrastructure, it reminded me of a Bible story. It's fairly obscure, but in it, they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, and there are enemies they are afraid will attack them. The solution? Everyone is made responsible for the wall in front of their individual home. That's how I see this moment. There is so little control available to us, and all we can expect of ourselves and ask of others is to build our wall, whatever that may be, and that people are doing this to help protect their families and their neighbors and patients they don't know, and healthcare providers feels miraculous. I'll leave you today with a quote from a medical journal blog piece in which a family physician provided advice to fellow doctors on dealing with this crisis. He writes, Remind yourself daily that you are trained to deal with this situation, even if that means lying to yourself a little bit. We are all trained and we are afraid and we are underprepared and we are still ready. It is all true for all of us at the same time. This is a moment of solidarity as a global community together but apart. We love being here together but apart with all of you every week. We will be back in your ears tomorrow on The Nuanced Life. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff. Tim Miller, Martha Branitsky, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Amy Whited, Allie Edwards, and Jared Minson. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.